Good evening and welcome to Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello and tonight we've got a great show as always planned. Uh, we're going to be talking about the lockdown in Victoria, whether that in itself is a violation of human rights which should be shut down, uh, whether they've actually gone into this baseless curfew uh, with no medical advice, no political advice and no justifiable reason at all. And of course, there'll be people who are saying there's much more about the restrictions, which are a uh, invalid violation of, of natural freedoms that we should be having. We'll also be talking about the Chinese Communist Party and their invasion of Australian universities. Uh, we can't even criticise violations of human rights now, it seems, uh, by bad actors internationally without ourselves having those actors <laughs> infringe upon our free rights. It's a crazy, crazy world, and it's only getting crazier. Well, Netflix subscribers and shareholders, I should say, are particularly feeling the craziness right now as they lose about $9 billion off uh, their company uh, as they refuse to stop what can only be described as the sexualization of children. Uh, the CEO of Netflix, Reed Hastings, has defended his company's stubborn refusal, though, refusing to remove the movie by the name of Cuties from its streaming service by sharing an article from a left-leaning website, The Verge, which is defending the movie. And there are a few people defending the movie. Uh, well, this piece was labelled independent by the Netflix CEO. And uh, he claims, or the, the piece, the article that he shared claims, that the criticisms of the movie are little more than a conspiracy theory, of course, right-wing conspiracy theory, despite the contents not being theoretical, not a conspiracy theory, but very well documented. Uh, there's an, an article on the Good Source website sharing a clip from the movie, and there's many people uh, who ask that we probably should have put a content warning on it because it's such graphic sexualization of what can only be described as little girls being 10 or 11 years old. The author of the article which Netflix quoted in turn quotes a Rolling Stone critic who claims the context of the hypersexualization of little girls makes it totally understandable. If they're seeking to do something good, you can therefore do whatever you want. The context, to be clear, is one of the film's themes, which is the hypersexualization of girls. The director, with a French name I won't even insult her by attempting to pronounce, told one outlet, there were these girls on stage dressed in a really sexy fashion, in short, transparent clothes. They danced in a very sexually suggestive manner. I was transfixed, watching with a mixture of shock and admiration. I asked myself if these young girls understood what they were doing. And so she made a movie uh, of that, uh, essentially repeating that with very young girls with very sexually suggestive uh, gestures being exaggerated and repeated. And uh, I don't know how it's not a crime to have even put those actresses uh, through that. 
Well, the film is said to explore the difficulties being a little girl who are, who's now growing up in a world obsessed with appearances and connectivity. The director claimed Cuties is a social commentary against the sexualization of young children. Well, joining the calls to cancel Netflix subscriptions over the highly inappropriate visual content, Lila Rose commented, you don't fight child exploitation by exploiting children. You don't stop child pornography by creating, selling and distributing child pornography. Hashtag cancel Netflix. Well, that hashtag has gone viral and so has the consumer activism, causing Netflix to lose $9 billion in market value. While corporations are private property and are entitled to make really bad commercial decisions, which only make sense in the woke alternative realities of Hollywood and Silicon Valley, consumers are also entitled to make their own choice, vote with their feet and shop with other brands which do not pour hot contempt on their own social convictions. Reed Hastings would be wise to seriously consider why he believes Cuties is worth losing $9 billion of shareholder money. Another commentator, Ryan Fournier, says Netflix has lost over $9 billion in market value since the cancel Netflix hashtag went viral. Good. Any network that promotes pedophilia should fall. Cuties received multiple awards at this year's Sundance Film Festival. Now, one of the film's, one of the festival's co-founders way back when, Sterling Van Wagenen, He's 71 years old now, but he was charged last year with the sexual abuse of a little girl between the ages of seven and nine. He left the festival advisory board back in 1993. Now, I actually reserve the right to criticise other cultures which are backward, savage or barbaric without being labelled racist because I think we need to admit when our own is racist or not racist but backward and, and savage and, and our culture needs to be criticised. Everyone should be capable of cultural embarrassment. I think that's an important key to cultural maturation. Western culture will defend and celebrate the Cuties film. And that's something we should admit is humiliating. Let that then drive us to change and mature as a culture. For example, The Telegraph in its film review section says that this is an, quote, age terrified of child sexuality, end quote, as if that's a bad thing. Uh, yep, I'm terrified of child sexuality. I don't think that should be done by the culture to 10 and 11-year-old girls. But obviously we're not terrified enough, given The Telegraph's awful article promoting it. Personally, I'm slow to cancel things or even change brands, but I have done and will do for the sake of consumer activism when I think the issue is serious enough. I get that there's probably no corporation which completely shares my values, but the evidence is that cuties is well beyond anything society should tolerate. It's overwhelming evidence, and likewise, the evidence is overwhelming. Netflix simply doesn't care about anything as much as profits. So I'm also cancelling my Netflix subscription. I'm taking my money elsewhere and you should too, but not without first telling them why. Now, somebody who knows an awful lot about human rights is uh, the former Human Rights Commissioner of Australia, uh, the MP for the electorate of Goldstein in Victoria, Tim Wilson. Tim, welcome to Pillow Talk. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, David. Now, you wrote an article, uh, or did you write the article in The Australian? Was it an opinion piece? No, no, no. It, it was a, um, an article 
written about a letter I wrote to the Australian Human Rights Commission and the Victorian Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission raising concern about Victoria's curfew as part of the uh, context of our lockdown and other measures in Victoria to deal with COVID-19. So uh, the gist of, of the article essentially says that because the Daniel Andrews came out and admitted neither the police uh, nor the medical advice uh, had in any way collaborated or suggested with um, with a justification for a curfew, that therefore there was a clear case that this was a violation of the human rights, uh, which are natural and enshrined in, in lots of uh, legal instruments, international and domestic, allowing freedom of movement. Well, well, essentially, yes. So what actually happened was the state government introduced measures to address uh, the spread of COVID-19. Now, I want to make it clear the extent to which some of them are quite extreme. That They didn't start with a blank sheet and say, as we normally do in a liberal democracy, uh, that uh, you're, you're free and then we put limitations around your freedom to address a particular harm. So they started from a position of saying, we're basically going to lock the whole state down and then identified whom could open and the circumstances in which they could open, which I have a sort of, I guess, a philosophical big disagreement with to start with. But then what mm. we've been put in a situation, Victoria, is you can't leave home for 23 hours of the day um, unless you're part of a particular group of workers. Uh, you're limited to five kilometres radius around your home. And the argument for those measures was that they helped stop the spread or the transmission of the virus. Now, we can argue about that, but I, they had justification, even if I might disagree with them, would be the way I'd put it. Um, right. And then there was also a curfew. And there was never any real basis for the curfew. We just kind of got told that from 8pm till 5am, we couldn't leave our homes. But we were kind of told, look, it's necessary. And then in an interview on 3AW, Neil Mitchell asked the chief health officer, did you ask for this curfew? And the response of the chief health officer was, no, it's not necessary. Um, you know, it might be desirable from where I sit, but it's not necessary. Then uh, it was a, a sort of, argue, oh, well, it's needed for a public order basis. So the chief of police was asked exactly the same question. Did you ask for this? Do you need it for public order? And the uh, chief of police said, no, I don't need it either. I haven't asked for it. And so what we've actually had is these measures introduced on the basis of a deception. So I wrote to the Human Rights Commission nationally and for the Victorian Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission said, well, hang on, you've got these international treaties under the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. You've actually got a Charter of Rights in Victoria, which whether you agree with whether it should exist or not, it does. Um, so what are you doing about it? I mean, these people are introducing measures which fundamentally restrict people's freedom. They have no basis. They're not deemed necessary, but people are literally being locked in their homes at certain hours of the day because it's simple and makes the government's job easier. I mean, that's just anathema to what human rights and freedoms are. It, it really is. Um, I'm actually very interested in, in what you explained, and I've never even heard that before. It's, it's really great insights that I guess can uh, come from somebody who used to be the commissioner for the Australian Human Rights Commission. Uh, but the, the premise that we start with everybody having freedom and then choose what gets trimmed back uh, as is, is needed, that makes a lot of sense uh, because uh, the perfect example is religious freedom. I'm a huge advocate of religious freedom. 
I, I think the pursuit of one's religious convictions is is absolutely essential to democracy itself, not just not just freedom of religion. But if that means uh, harming somebody else very proactively, um, you know, such as uh, you know beheading somebody, uh, well, that's where your rights are definitely limited uh, under Western democracy and and even. Um, you know, just plain law and order, a, a good justice system. So a, a natural right such as religious freedom is not infinite. Um, but you drew the point that these lockdowns in various states have started with the assumption that everybody has no freedoms and what shall we now uh, bequeath certain people who fit certain criteria? Well, not quite. I mean, you don't have to end up in a lockdown and start from that proposition that people have no freedom, but I do believe that's the starting point of where we started in Victoria, which is shut everything down, then create essentially an approved list. Um, you can end up in a lockdown and assume that everybody has freedom, that think it's justified to do so. But um, I just think we've entered this space now. I mean, the foundational freedoms that everybody is supposed to have are freedom of conscience, freedom of expression, freedom of movement, freedom of association, etc. Now, it doesn't mean that those can't be violated from time to time if there's a compelling reason, it's necessary, it's proportionate, um, and there's a reasonable case and there's not an alternative. So we do do this from time to time, but it has to have some clear justification. And when, uh, and it may only sometimes be temporary, but when you have the government doing it and just saying, for the efficiency of the government, that is reversing the whole proposition about what a free society is. Now, mm. I think everybody accepts that there are limitations in the COVID-19 era to deal with making sure you don't transmit the virus to potentially vulnerable populations. I, even I accept that. I just don't accept ones introduced on deception. I also think it corrodes public confidence on the ones that we actually need and breeds a, a distrust with the government I mean, I'm sceptical of government, period. That's why I'm a liberal. But, uh, but if you're going We're to on the same page. power, um, uh, it, should, it actually increases the obligation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I, that's where I think they've fundamentally got it wrong. And for all the, we have all of these artifices around the country who are set up supposedly to defend our, our human rights. And, of course, I used to be human rights commissioner. And this is the sort of thing that politely I would have jumped on straight away and said, you know, Where's the justification? What's the basis? And once it was proven that there wasn't one, then you've got to turn around legitimately and say, what are you doing? I mean, you've all got this power. Why aren't you taking action? Um, and I realise sometimes these things are uncomfortable. That's that's <clears> the very nature. I mean, uh, of, of human rights, you, you often have to challenge authority and you get told off. I mean, since I've raised my complaint, I've had you know constituents who I represent saying, oh, you know, this isn't I don't like you doing this. I want you to, um, you know, support the government and its measures. And I've just said, well, I'm sorry. If you let these little things pass, particularly something as extreme as a curfew, mm. uh, then they very quickly compound. I mean, and I always give the example, if, if this were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who had a curfew implemented on them for the simplicity of implementation of law and order issues, which, by the way, has occurred in this country, we would call it out as wrong. Yep. I was I was on the ABC the other day and I was asked whether it was extreme to have asked the Human Rights Commission 
to investigate. I have to point out to the interviewer that 5 million people in this country right now, and it's now past 8 o'clock, I can't leave my home. And it's not about me. I don't care much. To be honest, I'm going to go to bed. But, um, but 5 million people literally can't leave their home for, uh, you know, the next eight hours in Victoria. I mean, that's extraordinary when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what's it What's it like uh, being, I mean, you, you're in the LN, the Liberal National Party, the Liberal Party. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Queensland context. Definitely Liberal Party, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're in the Liberal Party, and and then you're brought into the Human Rights Commission. Um, were you a member of the Liberal Party prior to becoming the candidate for Goldstein? Uh, how long have you been? Like, sure, I, I was a member of the Liberal Party from 18 through to the age of 33. Okay, um, so you you clearly identified as a political. Uh, right of centre person, better at oh, home yeah. in the Liberal Party, well, and and then you get taken into the like, human. Uh, my views are subtle, and I've never been subtle in communicating them. I had to resign the Liberal Party membership while I was Human Rights Commissioner. The first right. act as soon as I finished resignation of the Human Rights Commissioner role was to rejoin the Liberal Party. So I, I just want to ask this final question before we introduce the rest of tonight's panel, um, and that is the. The human rights slash discrimination industrial complex is very left of centre. Uh, what was it like being brought in as a right of centre, um, I guess, political persuasion person? What's that? Did, did you feel like completely like a fish out of water or, uh, you know, how did, did you feel like you could affect much change and improve that situation while you were there? So in short, I did, in fact, I think more than anything else, the disappointing thing that occurred in the lead up to my appointment was people said, well, how can somebody right of centre, you know, be Human Rights Commissioner? And I kind of had to point out to them that truthfully... <laughs> Lefties would say human that. Rights, human rights are actually right of centre ideas. They're not left of centre ideas. Um, uh, yeah, the concept of rights very much evolves out of the Western Anglo um, liberal tradition because uh, we fundamentally believe in the empowerment of individuals and socialist or rather collectivist political ideologies are built around the centralised power of, of authority to impose their will on others and that rights actually are a nuisance in this conversation. So I actually took it as a self-criticism of the centre-right that we haven't spent enough time talking about these issues and talking about their connection back to what we believe in. And part of the reason is because, you know, the, the, the enemy of human rights is not the left per se, though they can they do a bloody good job of it sometimes. Sometimes people on the right can be just as much the enemy of human rights too because it's really centralised power. And, of course, sometimes the centre-right's in charge and sometimes the centre-left's in charge. And that means sometimes we've got to speak to truth to power um, in favour of people's rights, uh, no matter who's in charge or who's in government. Um, and I think that's where there hasn't been enough of a, a tilling or a fostering of the discussion around rights. So mm. what was it like going to Human Rights Commission? Uh, truthfully, um, uh, I found a lot of things that I could find to work with people on, and then there would be some very strong disagreements. But the main thing was 
uh, I saw my job was to affect change, to bring that discussion up around things like freedom of speech, freedom of religion, property rights, which are a very important part of the human rights discussion. And mm. actually, when you work with people, you could advance those things. Um, but uh, but uh, it was within a, a framework of understanding that you weren't going to agree with everybody. But that's okay because, you know, I, I used to have these people say to me all the time, human rights shouldn't be political. And I would say, well, hang on, this doesn't make any sense. They're political ideas about political values, about political concepts implemented through political instruments, by, um, advocated by political leaders, et cetera, et cetera. Which part of that isn't political? You just think yep. they shouldn't be political because you think yep. that wins the argument. It's a lot of rubbish. Yeah. Deeply political. Yeah. Well, I do want to uh, thank everybody for watching tonight. If you're uh, joining us, make sure you join the conversation with a comment on YouTube or Facebook. And uh, we, if it's civil, sincere and on topic, we would love to put it on screen and uh, just expand the conversation to include you in it. And uh, if there's a direct question and uh, it fits in, we'll even uh, raise that as, as soon as we can. There's a good question from Lyle Shelton, but we've got that topic planned for a little bit later on as we talk a bit more about I, I, the... Uh, the industry. Um, so uh, Tim gives you a wave, Lyle. <laughs> um, Lyle thought about having you on tonight, uh, but um, we, we got a better offer. <laughs> and speaking of better offers, uh, Bernard Gaynor uh, joins us, who uh, is uh, not not quite as new to the, the... We've got a bit of background noise going on here from, from somewhere. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Um, uh, just... Oh, sorry, Tim, I just unmuted you. Um, anyway, uh, Bernard, welcome to Pello Talk. G'day, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's very interesting listening to you, Tim. I think you and I probably disagree about many things, but one thing I wholeheartedly agree with you on is that the human rights industry is political. It is entirely political. But before we get to that, uh, I want to congratulate you, Tim, Hey Bernard, just before we uh, before we um, do that, I want to introduce uh, our final panel member tonight, Drew Pavlou. But we'll come straight back to you, Bernard. I promise. Drew, sure. uh, welcome to Pello Talk. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. No, that's uh, my pleasure indeed. And uh, the topic we'll be talking to you about uh, very soon is, of course. Um, your activism for human rights. Uh, so a consistent theme on the show tonight. But Bernard, go ahead and ask that question before I interrupted you. Oh, I just wanted to congratulate Tim for taking the action in relation to the curfews uh, and the insane lockdowns in Melbourne. Um, I think you know, talking to many people, I've got family in Victoria, uh, a lot of people are hurting. Uh, I would just ask why the Human Rights Commission or the Victorian Equal Opportunities Commission, we know whatever they're going to spit out in relation to, uh, I guess your complaint is going to be absurd and insane. They'll probably come up with some, some four-volume document that says the lockdowns are necessary to protect human rights um, and the only restrictions that can be lifted are for a welcome to country ceremony or for the pride parade. Um, there's the Constitution and the other laws that uh, I think are a better way to address these problems. So, Tim, any thoughts on, on the, the constitutional uh, attack attack point, uh, things that are more legally um, robust rather than politically, uh, I guess, uh, partisan? I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, um, and 
uh, uh, seek clarification. Uh, the, 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 I would stress this though, Bernard, which is firstly, we need to understand what I'm complaining about, which is I'm complaining about the curfew. So if the curfew yep. were to be removed, we would still have to be stuck in our homes 23 hours a day and only be able to travel five kilometres. Um, it's the curfew it only operates between, um, it's now 9pm till 5 5am. I mean, that doesn't mean that I don't have issues with the other thing. It's just that other things, the lockdown measures, but that is the critical one. And I'd be cautious about criticising the Victorian Human Rights Commission. The uh, commissioner, even before these comments were made um, about uh, by the chief uh, of police and the chief um, health officer, had already flagged in an interview on the ABC that, that she had real problems with the curfew and that it wasn't um, necessarily just Justified. So one of the reasons why I wrote to them was to say, well, now that you know this, could you perhaps clarify it? Um, and sometimes one of the most useful things in politics in fo is to focus on outcomes. And uh, the reality is um, uh, a Liberal MP, even if I am former Human Rights Commissioner, um, critiquing a state Labor government will always be interpreted through a partisan lens, for want of a better phrase. If the Human Rights Commission comes out, an independent Human Rights Commission comes out and says that what they're doing is wrong, I think it'll have a much bigger effect on public consciousness about the likely impact. But let us wait and see. Now, I didn't quite understand what your point was around the Constitution. Uh, sure. Well, that's a... Uh, I've, there's constitutional issues in relation to the border closures, but there's other legal issues in relation to the curfew itself. Um as I understand it, and there are much, much uh, better qualified legal minds than mine that have already commented that the curfew uh, would be unlawful because it was not made for a public health reason. So uh, that, that's not a human rights issue. That's just the simple fact that the Premier has issued a decree that he's got no power to do, um, according yeah, to yeah. very prominent people in Victoria. Yeah, there's, there's two essential parts of that, which is firstly around uh, the, the borders closure. Now, that's been considered by the, the, by the High Court. And the, uh, the truth is I have very mixed views about that and um, it's not totally clear what the High Court's going to do from my perspective. Whereas the point that people are raising about the curfew legally in Victoria is it's introduced under the, essentially the, the Quarantine Act, the Act that deals with quarantine, which empowers under the state of emergency the chief health officer now um, to be able to introduce these measures. So it's actually not so much the premier meeting to introduce them, it's the chief health officer introducing them on health grounds. Now that the chief health officer has said, I don't need this. So it now looks increasingly likely that there's no real justification and it may not sit on a legal basis. Now there's a legal opinion stating this. I haven't read that legal opinion, um, but it wouldn't surprise me, but it still needs to be challenged in the Supreme Court if somebody wants to take action now, uh, I'm not going to do that, but um, I've gone for an alternate pathway to see whether there's a way to at least draw up a highlight on the fact that it lacks basis and if a citizen wants to take it to the Supreme Court, they can. Drew, are we uh, somewhat out of your human rights field of study by talking about COVID lockdown? I'm, uh, um, you seem to have... Uh, uh, the ability to put some uh, coherent thoughts together on a range of topics. What are your thoughts on lockdown in general and uh, the Victorian context specifically? 
Look, um, I'm probably going to shock you and your viewers. Um, you know, I identify as being of the left, and yet I think Dan Andrews' government has acted absolutely appallingly. I mean, the, the lockdown and the curfews, the authoritarian measures he's taken, I mean, it's just appalling. You look at how these riot police were storming through a fruit market the other day, and, like, you see footage yeah. of, you see footage of, you know, blokes being thrown to the ground and bashed and kicked in the head by Victorian police. I just, I just don't understand what Dan Andrews' government thinks it's it's achieving with these terrible, appalling authoritarian measures. You know, I identify as being of the anti-authoritarian left, so I'm absolutely opposed to this terrible authoritarian. And like, anti-authoritarian leftist is always welcome on this show. Yeah, well, like that's why I guess I'm supportive of like. Well, I guess that's. That's why I have been a strong critic of the Chinese government and I have sometimes spoken across party lines and I guess political affiliation. Yeah, great. yeah because I guess for these for these matters, it's fundamentally about human rights. It's not about partisan affiliations. Mm. I mean, any Australian can look at footage of, you know, a bloke being kicked in the head and bashed by Victorian police and think, what's going on here in Australia? I'm yeah. I'm here in Queensland at the moment and there's currently this terrible, appalling case where this bloke, Brad Jones, I think his name is, um, he's been barred from seeing his cancer-stricken four-year-old daughter. He's in Northern Rivers in Lismore, just right across the border, and he's separated by this hard border. And yep. if, if he wants to go and see his cancer-stricken daughter, who is possibly on her deathbed, he will have to go through a two-week lockdown. I just yep. don't understand why governments... Are acting so like pig-headedly, like they're acting in such a pig-headed way, such an authoritarian way. There's such an arrogance here. I don't yeah. understand why we can't make think we can't have compassionate exemptions, compassionate exemptions for extreme cases like that, where you know a father is separated at the border from his dying child. And I do broadly understand the need for very strong public health measures, and I think there possibly needs to be some kind of lockdown. Because if COVID does rampage through the population, it will be a deadly virus. I don't want thousands of Australians to die. That is that is something we have to do everything to prevent. But just the authoritarian and arrogant way these governments are administrating these measures, it's just shocking. I, so what kind I, of uh, differences in, in policy would you do? Because me personally, I think quarantine is for sick people, uh, yeah. not healthy people. Uh, healthy people who are not in a high-risk category, such as no comorbidities, under 65 years old, uh, and not in not you know symptomatic, should be allowed to go about their business. Freedom of movement, freedom of trade, freedom of uh, assembly. Um, what about you? Do you think sensible policy at this time includes um, restrictions on healthy, um, low-risk people? <sighs> It's difficult. I probably would support social distancing measures and nothing stricter than that at this point in time where Victoria's caseload is dropping. There's no need to have, you know, hundreds of police clad in riot gear surround a protest of 20 people. It's just shocking. Mm. I, yeah. I just think that I think there needs to be a bit of common sense employed here. There should be cases where, like, you know, in extraordinary circumstances, we make compassionate exemptions for families separated at a border and we... We don't have to send in riot, riot, riot police into like. Yeah, it's crazy. Out. I mean, I, I, I was been... um, I, I was personally quite concerned from the moment we deployed uh, the army, 
at our airports to detain <laughs> detain and and house arrest people who were healthy and innocent returning from overseas i'm like this this is really terrifying we're using the army against our own people uh, and yeah. sure they're not i mean but the threat of violence was implicit if you don't cooperate so i'm just that that was that was the red flag that warned me um it was all going wrong from there look i, I do want to move on uh we've got a lot to cover uh tonight and drew i actually want to uh throw it back to you right away and uh, just highlights for us uh, maybe give us uh, the 60 second overview of who Tra drew pavlou is you said you identify as a lefty um and anti-authoritarian um so talk about the human rights protests and activism you're in and and then where it's gone wrong from there yeah sure so um i guess my views are a bit idiosyncratic I am of the left, but I often break with the left on a number of issues because I've got this very strong anti-authoritarian streak and I've also got a very important faith, which is Christianity. My Christianity doesn't form my very important belief, my very strong belief in human rights. I believe every single human life is valuable and should be protected and defended at all costs. And so that is why I've become so active in human rights campaigning. I've been a human rights activist right. at UQ for um, about a year now. I organized a human rights protest criticizing the Chinese government's um, treatment of Uyghurs and Hong Kongers and Tibetans and calling for my university to reassess its ties with the Chinese government while these human rights abuses were being carried out. And uh, perhaps infamous, infamously, um, hundreds of sort of counter protesters, hundreds of Chinese nationalists sort of descended upon us and our small demonstration at UQ. And we were violently assaulted and I was violently assaulted by these kind of nationalists. I mean, you you see that anywhere else. I mean, you see, say say we had a situation where there was a Black Lives Matter protest at UQ and then there were like, say, hundreds of like, you know, I, I guess say like far right Americans coming down to bash people. Like that would just be international news. But we hold one small human rights protest at UQ criticizing the Chinese government, Chinese nationalists. In a very in and in a very important sense, these guys act in a very fascist, totalitarian way, just truly violent, wanting to shut down people through violence. Um, these guys basically assaulted us, violently attacked us, and there was quite a stir in Australia and there was quite a stir internationally. But I mean, for some reason, people just sort of just went on with it. Like I mean, the Consul General Zuge, the Chinese Consul General in Brisbane, um, he issued a statement the following day denouncing me as a separatist and endorsing the violent attacks against me and other students as patriotic. Um, he didn't have his visa cancelled. He didn't, he wasn't dismissed as the Consul General in Brisbane, um, despite basically encouraging violent attacks on Australian citizens freely exercising their right to free speech. I mean, to this day, he may, remains a consul, Consulate General in Brisbane. This guy was awarded an honorary doctorate by UQ and was appointed as an honorary professor at, at the university. And to this day, I mean, today is September 15, 2020, a year and a year and a couple months after he issued this statement endorsing violent attacks against me and other Australian students, he remains an honorary professor at UQ. The only person since that protest back in July who has been disciplined by the university in any way whatsoever has been me because I, I led the protest, I organised it. Um, I was elected to the UQ Senate by students on a platform of opposing the university's ties to the Chinese government based on these human rights abuses and um, basically 
to punish me for my political activism and to protect their relationship with China, which is worth about 20% of the university's revenue, so hundreds of millions of dollars every year. They expelled me from the university, banned me from studies until next year, and they removed me from my democratically elected position in the UQ Senate. They also tried to tried to force a total campus ban on me, except I just keep on flouting it and they don't do anything to try and enforce it because I think they've realised at this point after like a year and three months of fighting, every single time they try to crack down on me, it makes them look worse. So are you going to classes at the moment or are you just on no. campus to to <laughs> provoke them? Um, I, I've been banned from classes. I'm banned from uni using the university library. I'm banned from using the university printers, from using the computers at the university. I can't use the university Wi-Fi. It's just so petty and ridiculous. <clears throat> but I still go onto campus. I still uh, protest with my Hong Konger friends at UQ. Uh, oh, we good. still speak out loudly. UQ security guards who are supposed to be enforcing this total campus ban on me, they've come up to me and said, hey, we actually support you. A lot of us do. It's just the university higher-ups who are after you. So I've got the support of the university community. I've got students, staff and security guards behind me. But the guys in charge of the university, the vice chancellor, Peter Hoy, the chancellor, Peter Varghese, men who are being paid hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars every year, Peter Hoy last year, it became it was revealed in the Australian Senate by James Patterson that he was afforded a two hundred thousand dollar bonus for deepening ties with China. So these men are often directly financially compensated for deepening ties with Chinese government officials. These guys directed the expulsion case against me to protect their own financial interests and to protect the university's finances. I just had a really good question in my mind, Drew, and it's completely gone. Um, no worries. Um, Sorry, uh, Tim, you want to comment on, on uh, that situation? Let's, uh, let's see if you can save me. Well, I mean, I, I think we all look on um, with uh, a mixture of confusion and admiration for the situation that Drew actually faces because, um, uh, you know, I've, I've never actually met Drew, but I've communicated with him, as he knows, online, try and get to the bottom of what's been happening at UQ, um, particularly because... Uh, the cause you're standing up for is fundamentally noble. I'm, I'm a, I think it'd be fair to say, known as a bit of a China sceptic, uh, or Chinese Communist Party sceptic in yeah. the federal parliament. As some people may know, I've even protested in Hong Kong against um, various measures implemented, uh, including the uh, the uh, former attempt at the extradition treaty, which now they don't even worry about in, um, in Hong Kong, according to the Chinese Communist Party. Mm. Uh, and I think this is what Drew's touched upon, and, and you know, there are a lot of allegations made and there are a lot of things that are being said uh, in, between him and the university. And I, I can't, with, with respect to I can't verify any of that, but yeah. I'm not doubting um, the sincerity. I just, just look and I cannot figure out for a second what it is the university is thinking in pursuing its case against you. There should be no tolerance of violence on campus, period, yeah. let alone for people who are, standing up against the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, I, I remember when, the, you know, left-wingers on universities went on to university campuses and protested against authoritarian regimes were applauded. And today it seems like um, the uh, interference is being run in defence of those who want to silence people standing up against authoritarianism. Um, and it, it's a fundamentally noble cause. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party is... Uh, how do you even put it? It's an authoritarian regime is one of the most oppressive in the world. Um, and mm. it doesn't matter, matter who it is. They engage in practices which are deeply concerning from a human rights perspective. But 
But even if you sort of take out of the human rights framework, it's frankly just um, the, the sense of human dignity uh, in which they seem to show and respect people, the right of self-determination to be able to go and live about their lives. And frankly, more Australians should be speaking out about this. Um, you know, there are obviously people in the federal parliament who do, myself, Andrew Hasty, James Patterson, Amanda Stoker, and others. Um, but uh, we should be deeply disturbed about the extent to which the CCP seeks to infiltrate our country. And it's not just, uh, uh, you know, in terms of protests that cruise down line, uh, our universities, uh, our political parties. I mean, never forget how Sam Dastiari led himself to be resigning from the Senate. Uh, yep. And there are many other attempts. Uh, and we can't tolerate this um, because if we think that we, or if we think we can, uh, in practice, what we're actually doing is um, legitimising a foreign entity or a foreign government uh, undermining very democratic institutions, and particularly when it comes to universities, Confucius Institutes, um, other yeah. research bodies. We had recently revealed about how um, there's research that's now done on the condition that the patents and technology go back uh, to China. This just isn't on, uh, and we've got to be, you know, have the courage, frankly, to stand up and speak out about it. And so anybody who stands up and speaks about it automatically starts in a position uh, of, uh, of support uh, from me because, uh, you know, and we've had, what we've also had, Great. and we should get is, is some big converts. You know, people like Clive Hamilton, um, who, you know, you may or may not be familiar with, but used to be at the Australia Institute and, you know, was one of the most left-wing people there is. But I, I suspect, with respect, like Drew, um, also can see uh, authoritarian regimes and the harm and the threats they pose our country as well as free people everywhere and have found the courage to speak out. Um, and the people who are always, you know, trying to silence discussion or conversation are frankly the people who always do, um, which is those who uh, seek to profit from it. And um, we've got to find them. It's kind of the moral courage to stand up and speak out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tim, I'm just going to uh, ask Drew a question to give you some time off camera. Um, but I think it's uh, your mic that's giving us a bit of feedback, etc. It might be remedied by you disconnecting and and reconnecting. And, and I don't know if you're on Wi-Fi or mobile data, but mobile data may be a stronger signal as well. So we'll just take you off camera for a second. And um, if you can just jump out and jump back in, that'd be awesome. Um, Drew, your protests, what I want you to take just two minutes to yeah. highlight and bullet point is, is yeah. um, the, the kind of things that you've yeah. been protesting against the China. What are the, the exercise, operations, policies and yeah. behaviours of the Chinese communist regime, uh, which you and your colleagues on, on campus have been trying to draw attention to? Let's uh, draw attention to them here and now and maybe give us a website or somewhere else that we can get more detailed information about it if we're not already fully aware. So it's it's fundamentally about the Chinese Communist Party's lack of concern for human dignity and human life. So I've got Tibetan friends who, I've got one Tibetan friend, friend up here in Brisbane, Tenzin Doring, and at the age of nine, his family sent him across the Himalayas to, to safety in India. And you have to think, why might a family be willing to send their child across the Himalayas on such a dangerous journey the Chinese government shoots to kill. If they see Tibetan refugees crossing the Himalayas, they shoot to kill. They 
they have active armed patrols in the area. Why might a family risk such a terrifying, dangerous expedition? And it's because fundamentally the Chinese government is engaged in cultural and physical genocide of the Tibetan and Uyghur people. Um, there's been thousands of monasteries destroyed. There have been there have been active attempts by the Chinese government to infringe upon Tibetan Buddhism and the right to freedom of religion and right to religious practice that Tibetan Buddhists enjoy. Now it's the same similar it's the same similar case when it comes to Uyghurs in Xinjiang. There are millions of Uyghurs who have been caught in detained in concentration camps. And it's basically the largest internment of a religious or ethnic minority since in history since the Holocaust. There, there are about 1 million to 2 million Uyghur Muslims detained in concentration camps simply because of their Muslim religious faith and because of their Uyghur ethnic identity. And the Chinese government tries to play it off as some kind of anti-terror campaign. But I mean, the types of people who are being detained, you see the heads of elderly, you see the elderly heads of family households, you see young people in their teenagers. This is a, this is a, this is a very systematic attempt to destroy the cohesive identity of Uyghurs as a distinct cultural and ethnic unit. So I've got a Uyghur friend right here in Brisbane. He has at least 14 family members in the concentration camps. If not more, he doesn't even know for sure because he's banned from talking to anyone, any of his relatives back home in Xinjiang, China. Um, his relatives were forced to, fight, to sign papers labeling him a terrorist. Um, simply because he was a Uyghur active in campaigns against the Chinese government here in Australia. His relatives had to sign papers that, like labeling him as a terrorist. And as such, he has no right to contact with them. He cannot contact them. In the past, um, he has had family members threatened because of his activism right here in Brisbane, Australia. Um, he, one of these guys came to UQ, protested with me on July 24th when those guys attacked us. Within 24 hours, their family members back home had been reached and visited by Chinese state security officials, and they had basically given issued the implicit threat: if you, if your family member continues to protest at UQ in Brisbane, Australia, you will be sent to concentration camps. Now, this is happening. This type of intimidation, fear, this this terror, this campaign of terror, intimidation, it's being inflicted upon Uyghurs right here in Brisbane, Australia. I've got Uyghur friends and brothers right here who have to face this terrible stuff. And um, Hong Kongers as well. I've got Hong Konger friends who now can no longer go back to Hong Kong because they're so fearful after the passage of the national security legislation. This is, these are this, is a this is legislation that has been foisted upon Hong Kong without the consent of the Hong Kong people, completely undemocratically. This national, these national security laws basically criminalize the right to freedom of expression in Hong Kong. It basically allows the Chinese government free reign to operate secret police within Hong Kong and to detain anyone it seems to be a threat based on their political activism and their political speech. We've seen recently the threat to and detainment of very prominent activists like the young Agnes Chow, a girl who's really my age. She's like 21, 22, 23. She's my age. She's just a peaceful protester detained by Chinese authorities. You see Jimmy Lai, the billionaire media tycoon who runs the biggest pro-democracy paper in Hong Kong, Apple Daily, detained by Chinese authorities. And not just him, his, his sons have also been detained and family members have also been threatened and persecuted. So this government, it, it acts like a mafia. It's the most totalitarian government on earth. It's pro possibly prosecuting the worst human rights abuses anywhere on the planet right now today. Um, millions of people are suffering 
just talking about Hong Kongers, Uyghurs, and Tibetans, that fails to consider all the millions and millions of ordinary yeah. Chinese citizens as well who suffer. And yeah. Christians in China, Falun Gong practitioners, anyone who practices religious faith, that is, per they can be persecuted by the Chinese government. I mean, the campaigns of persecution that the Chinese government prosecutes, they are so systematic, they are so extensive, they reach into every facet and corner of life in China. And for these very reasons, I think we need to be using, um, you know, our good fortune and privilege as Australian citizens with the right to free speech to be speaking, to speak up about the issue and raise our voices loudly, loudly. And we should be questioning, is it right for our universities, is it right for some of our large companies to be doing hundreds of millions of dollars of business with this government while these terrible, terrible atrocities are being carried out? I'm kind of moving toward the more boycott, divestment, sanction position where I think we need to have Magnitsky-style sanctions, um, personal sanctions on Chinese government officials who have been personally responsible for some of these human rights issues, human rights atrocities. And I think we should be divesting where we can from Chinese companies who are responsible for these human rights abuses and where we can even boycott yeah. Chinese groups. Well, that's certainly something that uh, we can we can all personally do. Um, if we have time in overtime, um, we won't have time before nine o'clock. Uh, we're going to move on now, but let's come back to that because I actually want to talk about uh, what the Australian government is doing. Uh, and, and Tim, you might be able to speak a little bit about Peter Dutton, Andrew Hastie's um, security uh, committee um, investigating university interference in universities uh, and potentially others. Um, now, what I do want to talk about now is is the the discrimination industry um, and uh, the exploitation of that industry. And you look, maybe I don't think anybody in their right mind would be in favour of of people being mean or offensive or or causing um, you know material harm to anybody based on on personal feelings or, or behaviours or choices. Um, and yet the anti-discrimination industry has been turned from something that perhaps had good motives to begin with to something that is in itself very discriminating and very harmful. Uh, Bernard, um, give us the uh, the short version of, of your experiences with the discrimination industry as well as people have been asking, even in the comments tonight, what's the update? on on um on how things are going for you in your battles oh sure thanks dave well uh i've been stuck inside the anti-discrimination industry uh, since 2014. uh I, I don't think i've got any human rights everybody else seems to have human rights um according to the anti-discrimination industry uh 37 complaints from one gay activist in new south wales not a single complaint has succeeded he's boasted he's lodging them to bankrupt me uh, the good news is that he is actually bankrupt now as a result of uh being hit with court costs in relation to some of these complaints which he's refused to pay uh, i've also had uh, other complaints against me when i was previously in the army under the army's internal anti-discrimination regime i suppose you could call it uh, there were 13 or 14 odd complaints there again not a single complaint succeeded against me but i still lost my job um, but I just talk about this Chinese uh, uh, concern about Chinese infiltration, manipulation or coercion in Australia. I, I am concerned that the anti-discrimination industry is open to being manipulated 
uh, by the communist Chinese regime or even infiltrated. So to give you an example, uh, on the 1st of June this year, the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board uh, put out a press release stating that there had been a massive increase in racism complaints due to COVID this year. Uh, and within a few days, the Chinese government had issued a travel warning to Australia uh, based on the statistics from the, human, uh, the Anti-Discrimination Board of New South Wales. Uh, they quoted those statistics. Uh, and just to give you some context, we don't know what those complaints are about. So the Chinese uh, government uh, website mentioned that they were uh, even things such as calling the coronavirus a China flu, but there were four complaints a week uh, that led to this report from the new or news report that from the New South Discrimination Board. Yeah, a massive increase of four complaints per week. And again, we don't know who lodged the complaints. Out of, out of how many population people in New South Wales? Uh, I don't know, Dave. What would be in New South Wales? Probably 10 million or something, I'm guessing. But yeah, so four complaints a week. But um, I'm not saying the Chinese government orchestrated this. I don't know. Uh, but I'm just saying that the Chinese government would have the capability and intent of doing it. Um, it would not be hard to organise four people to lodge a complaint a week. Um, and we do know for sure that the Chinese government pays attention to the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board and the other various bodies in Australia and uses their statements against Australia uh, with anti-Australian propaganda. Uh, now, uh, there was a question asked in New South Wales Parliament about this uh, by Mark Latham asking what measures were in place to ensure that the anti-discrimination industry was not being manipulated by foreign governments. And the answer was that there are no measures in place. So uh, we know the Chinese communist regime is paying attention to what the anti-discrimination board says. Uh, we know that it would not be hard to organise four complaints a week. We know the Chinese communist regime would have the capability and intent. And I am concerned that the anti-discrimination industry in Australia has been manipulated by foreign governments for anti-Australian propaganda purposes. So, Tim, let's ask you this question. You can comment directly on, on um, the possibilities that, that Bernie has raised and, and Mark Latham has raised, but it speaks to the wider issue that that very narrow um, self-interested agendas can so easily, potentially and clearly demonstrably, hijack uh, a maybe well-intended system. Um, and, and I think there's very little dispute, right of centre at least, that these systems have been weaponised against those who are, are right of centre. Um, your thoughts about that, I guess, domestically as, as well as uh, internationally? Well, I'll be careful about agreeing with Bernard about the point um, about uh, the Chinese Communist Party is using these systems. Now, it is technically possible. I'm not, not saying it's I think possible. that's all Bernie said, not that it's happening, but that it's entirely possible. Oh, no, that's it's I'm not saying it's happening, Tim. I'm saying it's possible. It, no, 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 I'm just, I, I make, I'll draw a parallel between... And you know, um, embassies being involved in protests that is, I'm sure that's absolutely happening. Uh, never, never underestimate the extent to which enemies of freedom will use uh, the instruments of our, our own government and open society and free society against us. Uh, and so, it's it's technically possible that may be the case. But to be to be frank, four out of um, I think it's about eight million people in the state of New South Wales at the height of the, the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, complaints about people saying that they were kind of abused because they were China, Chinese. I, truthfully, I doubt that that um, is any 
exaggeration. In fact, I suspect it understates. I'm not, uh, it's just a reflection of the fact that there will be some people in the community who will seek to take their anger out on other sections of the population. But, but it's technically um, possible. But well, what this really speaks to isn't a particular example. It speaks to the issue of the law. And when the law provides clear pathways for people to be able to make complaints without evidence, without a basis in which they can justify it, and where essentially there's a, 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 a breadth in the law um, around what you can complain about and that is treated with the, with the seriousness of sanction by the law, that's the fundamental problem. And so, so does that lead to some people on the right of centre being targeted? Yes, it does. Uh, and that's wrong. But um, the complaint is wrong, but it's permitted by the law. That's why, you know, I've always had this issue with Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act. I've always had an issue with Section 17 of the Tasmanian Anti-Discrimination Act, which goes beyond issues of race, colour, national, ethnic and origin identity. It covers just about every single, um, uh, shall we say, identity group within the community, including sexual orientation. I, I spoke out very strongly against the case um, with Julian Porteous, who was brought before it by a trans activist, Audience defending a perfect the example. Of a man, woman. Um, it's the law that must be fixed. If you fix the law, you will not provide these pathways for people to be targeted needlessly um, and hauled before government tribunals uh, for uh, simply expressing an opinion. So let's uh, let's give Lyle the uh, the floor space now. He asks. Tim, I am being uh, taken to QCAT by a couple of rainbow flag drag queens for writing a blog that said they were dangerous role models for children. Uh, he asks, why is my human right to free speech not protected? Well, well I don't know what the the, um, uh, the law is in Queensland at the moment, but, but as you know, Lyle, there is no constitutional protection for uh, free speech in Australia. Now, whether they will believe it should be or doesn't, uh, don't, it doesn't exist. So we're only bound by the laws that operate uh, in each state. I just said I'm not familiar with what currently Queensland's law is because I think there's been some changes since I left my old role and I don't follow state law in your state. Um, but uh, so I'd have to, I don't, I don't know anything about the case. Uh, well, so talk about it. Um, talk about it without being specific. Talk about it generally as discrimination tribunals go around the nation, um, as these these laws. Uh, I mean, the the comment and complaint was specifically um, that adult entertainers, who are an actual category in the adult entertainment industry awards night, uh, are dangerous role models for early childhood literacy. Uh, seems to be a non-controversial um, kind of mainstream comment um, and and yet clearly the law makes it easy for him to have to invest five figures or more uh, which not any not many people would have um, at their disposal uh, to to then defend his right to say unremarkable comments like drag queens are dangerous role models for children said it all comes down to the law in each state so some states have laws that provide this pathway and this is where judgments have to be made by the commissioners who are responsible for the oversight of the law um mm. i don't know what the law is in queensland 
in Tasmania sure. this could absolutely be achieved because of the absurd law that they have under some federal laws. It's technically possible. Um, so that's the fundamental problem. If you don't address that problem where, um, and, and I, I think I'm presuming this has to do with the libraries in Brisbane or something. I, I roughly recall some case. Yeah, Drag Queen story time. Drag Queen story time. I mean, people are entitled, I would have thought, to have a difference of opinion about whether that's right or wrong. Right. Uh, and I can't see on the basis why that would go to an anti-discrimination body. Um, these things, we're actually going to actually, actually going to let uh, Drew comment on this because he uh, knew some of the people in that protest. Um, while we're with Drew, Tim, we're still having trouble with your mic and audio. Is, if you've got a pair of headphones, you can perhaps try as an alternative uh, sound system. Um, but uh, while you're playing with that, uh, Drew, um, your thoughts on this case? Yeah, um, I'm just look. I'm in a bit of a, an interesting position because I was actually friends with both one of the drag queen performers who was there at that protest. I was also friends with Wilson Gavin, like the Christian uh, protester who led the protest and really tragically the next day took his life. Um, so I hope I can offer some kind of like nuance when it comes to this particular yeah, matter. Right. Yeah. Look, I, 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 I agree with Tim that um, clearly like people sh should be able to have differing opinions on the matter of um, whether I guess drag queens can read to should be reading to kids in public libraries. Um, I think we don't we we certainly don't want um, adult entertainers uh, involved in the adult entertainment industry involved. Um, one of the pro one of the per one of the uh, people who was reading. Uh, my friend Jean was not actually an adult entertainer, um, just sort of did a dress up because um, liked to read to kids and, and like didn't necessarily have like evil intentions or cruel intentions or anything. Yeah, of course. I, I, I think Jean was treated quite unfairly because was targeted by many people in a quite harsh way. I think some of Lyle's comments um, in an article written about Jean I, at the time, I was very, very harsh on Lyle, um, and I was, I, I was because I was in a very emotional state because I was grieving my friend Wilson's death, and it was just a very tough period because we had lost our mate as well, and there had been such a huge Twitter backlash, and as well, people, people are being thrown under the bus, bus by these outrage mobs, and Wilson, you know, he was a 21-year-old kid, never deserved to die for holding a protest. I still disagree with some of the things he did. I think. Like it should not have involved the kids in the protest, but at the same time, like the way he was treated by an outrage mob, it was just absolutely cruel. So like this is very very complex. Hmm. I th I think I I feel so bad. If you can if you can speak to the law though, because uh, there's, oh, yes, yes. there's some some things you you're bringing in which aren't actually true. Like they they, they weren't where the kids were. The kids might have been able to hear them when they came out, but they were yeah. outside those areas and. Um, and yeah, again, no, no, it's not about personal, not about personal uh, people or motives or anything else like that. It's about the bare fact that the concept is Brisbane City Council is promoting drag queen story time. Drag queens are an adult entertainment industry award category. Um, there's no doubt or dispute <laughs> that they are adult entertainers. 
and and there are just clearly i mean this this shouldn't be a remarkable conversation and and so having this conversation though seems to be the problem that one side wants the right to censor the other right the other side from even articulating uh, which is incredibly authoritarian I, I think if someone makes a respectful sincere contribution outlining their sincere opinion that a drag queen should not be reading at a publicly funded event for kids then i don't believe they should be brought before a government but who gets to define respectful and sincere isn't that really in the in the eye of the beholder because um, the the subject of that criticism would almost invariably say well that's not civil or sincere and and therefore activate this authoritarian trigger look from memory i remember i recall reading lionel's uh, lionel's article and there was some harsh language that it, that included like saying that gene had locked off breasts and stuff like that and i think we should be a bit more respectful when discussing something like a person yeah, but these are style comments instead of substance yes yeah i agree i look i'm not necessarily saying that anyone should be brought before a government tribunal but i am saying that we should be trying to be more respectful when we make discussion about this issue and I can I can possible I can say that you know adult entertainers shouldn't be reading to kids, but I think we need to be saying that in a respectful way. I just think that's part. I of don't this. think anybody would dispute that. Yeah. Um, but but the really the debate is is how easy should these triggers be to pull when somebody gets their nose out of joint? Um, because Lyle would say I was a hundred percent sincere and intended yeah. to be a hundred percent civil, but the topic is quite ugly. Um, and and so you know, there's a degree to to which it's impossible to pursue truth robustly without the potential for people to get offended. Um, Tim, let's let, yeah. let's see how your audio is going. Uh, you got anything further <laughs> to add? We'll we'll take three on your on your audio. Can you hear me now? It sounds good and clear. Okay, well, I now look like I'm in some sort of episode of Star Trek with um, with headphones <laughs> on, but that's that's fine. Uh, they are I mean, very attractive. Never you mind. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, so the, um, the the short and sharp of it is, Drew's right. People should be respectful, um, but course. that shouldn't be the test in law. Respectful should be the basis in which people should hold them to, hold themselves to want to be held in a good standing of others. Uh, even if we disagree the test in the law to me has always been that uh you know like i said before around lockouts you or, or everything else you start from the assumption that people are free and there's a point at which people in using the expression of their speech limits uh somebody else's capacity to exercise their freedom and so to me that has always been around what is the test of harassment now that still gives tribunals a point that they could decide what harassment is, but we as legislators can sort of broadly define it where it diminishes other people's capacity to exercise their freedom. There's a clear intent to achieve that purpose, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think that's the appropriate test. And if you set the test at that bar, there'll be people who will argue it, but in reality, it'll be very hard um, to uh, to meet that bar unless it's justified. Because we have other bars in 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 test in law already we general provision around for laws there are protections against incitement to violence and the like and so i think you can establish it where people can have robust discussion now i just want to make clear that's not a validation of anything that lyle 
Rachel said, I haven't seen it. I'm not passing judgment one way or the other. If it didn't meet the test of harassment to me, then I'm not sure why anybody should appear before an anti-discrimination body. It's the same reason that I said I, I believe that, you know, Julian Porteous should never have gone before the Tasmanian anti-discrimination body. I think I think that stuff is nuts. And frankly, it, it's actually dangerous um, uh, for a free society to go down this path, not just because you're empowering censors to make decisions about what people can say or not say, but mm. it also limits the capacity for us to go to Drew's point to build respect because while some people use language as a weapon and they do a lot of people particularly when you're talking about issues in subcultures may not necessarily know the language or the lingo that sits in those subcultures and the only way you're going to be able to learn that is sometimes to um, respectfully tread on toes to learn that and that, that that's yep. not just something to do with the gay community. I can go into a religious organisation tomorrow, including many different derivatives of Christianity, and say things uh, that would actually probably be deeply offensive and unintentionally so, which is why that can't be the basis in uh, the test in law. Uh, it has to be something that uh, establishes a clear intent of harassment so that other people don't limit their freedom. Uh, and then you can have a discussion around where the the, set, the, the tests of law should be. I, I just want to, you know, I just want to quickly say my two cents. Like to to sum up my position, while I would possibly disagree with some of the words used by Lars Schultz, and and I might have substantial political disagreements with someone. Fundamentally, I do not believe that people should be dragged before government tribunals for expressing themselves and expressing their right to free speech. I think just fundamentally, we do need to protect the right to free speech in society. I hold to the principle. I would, I may disagree with what you say, but I'd fight to the death to defend it. Um, do me a favour and and see if um, Jean would be interested in in having a public chat about it. Um, again, I probably wouldn't want to talk about the merits of the case, but I guess the the merits of the philosophy of free speech versus uh, the weaponization of anti-discrimination tribunals. Um, we'd really appreciate that. Again, we're not trying to embarrass, humiliate or hijack anybody. We just would love yeah. to have people on who are capable of, of civil and, and sincere disagreement. Um, yeah. And uh, if a coffee would maybe um, help build some uh, comfort beforehand, that might also be a, a good opportunity. Um, but, Bernie, let's have a... I hear from you. Have you got any thoughts to share without me necessarily prompting any on, on the last uh, 10 minutes no, worth of discussion? That, Dave, look, uh, I've got to say, Tim, it, it's one thing to talk about a test in law, but this whole system is so flawed and biased that it doesn't matter what the test in law is. I mean, you had the New South Wales Tribunal last year rule that it was vilification to say that the rainbow flag was offensive. That was the test. It's got to be hatred or severe contempt or ridicule. The statement that the rainbow flag was offensive was deemed vilification. And there's a reason they well, make I will, I will agree with you. I think that's nuts, Bernard. I just think it's absolutely crazy. But th there's a reason why they make these decisions because it doesn't matter what the testing law is. These people are all one-sided. And I'll go back to what you said right at the start about it being political. It is political. They are pushing a political agenda and they are using their state power to coerce silence um, or force society to approve their views on things. I mean, the, the magistrate that I've had in some of my cases actually attended at a, a keynote uh, as the keynote speaker for a fundraiser for the HIV legal service um, 
uh, she's had private conversations, according to evidence, with the complainants. Everybody knows that he said that he's lodging complaints to bankrupt me. The Anti-Discrimination Board of New South Wales has not even considered that. In fact, they remove all that evidence when they send their complaints off to the tribunal 37 times. They've received evidence that he's lodging complaints to bankrupt me. 37 times they've done nothing Burns? about it. Is that his... Yeah, it is. And and these I, I mean and these complaints are the against me, you Bernard. I mean, uh, I'm not trying to downplay your, your situation, but this <laughs> yeah, guy's a serial. Tim, Tim, I haven't seen you dragged to the tribunal. They've sent me to the no, tribunal no, no, because no, of his complaints. And and the, the point is this is a body that marches in the Mardi Gras and says they're unbiased. They are the, it is the very definition of bias. I mean, they've even referred my commentary about what goes on at the Mardi Gras, and you and I might disagree on that. They referred my commentary on the Mardi Gras to I the tribunal, even though they march in it. But, I mean, you can't tell me that they're unbiased if they're marching in the Mardi Gras. Say that again, Tim. So what am I saying? I, don't oh, think I, thought, that you, I, thought, I thought I'd just missed something from you. I've said consistently I think human rights are deeply political, and I think that's what comes through in a lot of the values um, that are stated. Now, um, I, I do, uh, uh, whether they're biased, and I mean, I don't know the inner workings of these bodies. I'm not trying to, I know the inner workings of the Human Rights Commission when I was there, and I, I'll keep my commentary uh, to that. And um, I will say very strongly, I think the issues that were I raised then and remain are to do with the law rather than some of the people. I think, frankly, at a state level, it's a different proposition, but because I'm not familiar with the institutions, are very difficult for me to comment. Um, but I do think mm. that these bodies do have to uh, maintain, and I know I had this stand on me at the AHRC, to make sure you maintain a very non-biased um, perception uh, around um, your conduct because it was necessary to, uh, to build public confidence. And I guess one of my big concerns is that uh, there is this attempt to use these bodies to weaponize the law, to silence dissent. And I agree with you. There are absolutely people trying to do that, Bernard. Uh, and that's why the law has to change. And if the bodies aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's such a responsible legislators um, to hold them to account as well. Well, Tim, why... Hey, can I just uh, jump in and... and I've got uh, two in, seconds in, of advice on the changing the law, Dave, and then you can hand over. Uh, uh, my, this my, isn't a segue. This is just a brief uh, interjection to the commenters. Don't get me in trouble with your comments. Keep it clean. Keep it respectful. Don't make defaming uh, kind of things. I'll have to go through and delete comments. Keep me out of trouble because you know the kind of people who would like to bring a show down like this. Please don't be the person who does that. Bernie. I'll back you up on that, Dave. People have to understand now that, with the defamation laws, etc., that Dave will be held responsible for the comments, even though you publish them. So don't do something stupid. Um, but Tim, my two two sentence advice is that these bodies, the laws can't be fixed, the bodies can't be reformed. They need to be bulldozed into the ground. That is the best thing that could happen with them. Well, that does um, give a good segue for the question I have, and and that's uh, and we do need to start wrapping this up very um, very quickly. But Tim. Do you think they're redeemable? Do you think a bulldozer is the best solution, um, or, or how do we fix? How do we fix? Uh, I, I'm going to guess you're going to say no. So uh, that then tees it up for you. How do, well, how do we, we stop, stop these things being else? weaponized? Uh, if it's as easy as getting a bad commissioner in there to make 
the worst of frivolous, vexatious complaints um, open the floodgates? How do we prevent that that risk? Drew, Drew actually has his hand up, so not his view, but he seemed to want to say something. Drew, I would, I would just quickly ask. Um, so Bernard, if if we were to bulldoze these institutions in the ground, do you believe that there should be institutions in society to protect? The most vulnerable members of the community including lgbt people and if so how would we do this well sure look if there's an organization called the police force and people who threaten uh violence or uh break other criminal laws in relation to and they exist already today those laws are in place in fact the human rights industries are preventing those laws in many cases from operating effectively but everyone should be protected uh, from violence and threats of intimidation, etc., and those laws exist. How do you think the um, human rights industries prevent those laws from being better affected by police? Uh, well, I'll give you an example. There's a case in. Uh, sorry, I'm cutting Tim's time, but there's a case in New South Wales a couple of years ago, where there was a, um, a homosexual tenant of a property, and the, I can't remember exactly what the landlord did, but they forged a document about the tenants, okay? Now, that is a criminal offence. Um, and uh, instead, the human rights industry got involved and there was, you know, some bureaucratic human rights thing. I think there was a $2,000 fine. But the landlord who forged the document about the behaviour of their tenants should have been charged with a criminal offence because they sent it to the New South Wales Housing Authority, which is um, misleading government official public servant in New South Wales. That's a criminal offence. But that didn't happen. Um, instead, the human rights industry got involved. So I didn't even, um, that, that, that case should have gone to the criminal courts. Tim, um, if we bulldoze these to the ground, uh, are there any modifications needed to civil and common law um, which, which would uh, close any perceived gaps um, failing to protect the people that we, of course, want to protect in society? Well, I'm not briefly, I'm, to Drew's point, I'm not actually sure everybody does want to protect everybody in society. I mean, there'll be issues that, uh, you know, Bernard and I strongly disagree on that, uh, where he supported um, in the past uh, uh, discriminatory practices in the law. And if you're a true human rights advocate, one of the things that you'll never tolerate is the in, in unequal application of the law. And I'm talking about in the context of the definition of marriage, we can have a long about it that's my view he will have a different view about it so i'm not sure that everybody does want that uh, but for the most part these issues that need to be resolved through public discourse around how to improve society and so i actually think it's about what cases and arguments we make to improve the law to uh, uh, respect everybody um, in their fullness in their equality and their dignity um, but that doesn't change the fact that there is an obligation on all of us then to be part of that conversation to improve um, uh, the, the perception and, and the attitudes towards people and to show empathy towards others. I mean, if you believe in the liberal idea as I do of the, you know, the, the equality of all people uh, and the equal dignity of all people and their freedom to be able to live out their lives, I find, frankly, a lot of the people on the, the centre-right who, for whatever reason, whether it's inspired by cultural, religion, attitude or anything else, and that includes people of non-centre-right perspectives who might do it for other cultural practices to have such a... Um, frankly, derogatory position towards 
some subsections of the community, frankly, quite um, inconsistent and bizarre. Uh, and so I think actually what we need is a much greater sense of empathy in society um, yeah. as a general proposition if we want to actually achieve uh, the kind of justice I sort of as a liberal want to see for this world. Mm. Um, so obsessing about these institutions, I'm not sure is actually the pathway for resolution. What we've got to stop them doing is being used as a weapon. Um, and I can tell you what will happen if you decide to go down the pathway of, you know, quite bulldozing them, um, is that all you'll get back is um, when there are changes of governments, stronger, more powerful institutions that actually have the power to do even more than you advocate for at the moment. Because I don't think this is the sort of thing that's keeping many people up at night. And that's not to excuse or ignore. It's just to acknowledge the fact that uh, they're, they're, they, they, they fulfill a reason because we've signed up to these international treaties uh, and uh, what, they, what they're being used by many people is a, a backdoor way to achieve political ends that they should be achieving democratically um, under the guise of, uh, of, uh, of these treaties um, in a non-democratic way. Yeah, um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we've pinned you down onto an actual uh, solution that that you propose. I don't, um, think there is one. To, I don't think there is a perfect one. Yeah, it's a nuanced David. issue. It's a nuanced issue. It, sorry, it's a nuanced it's part issue. Part of the ongoing discussion of it being a democratic society is institutions are established. I mean, and and they will seek to achieve things, and when you don't like them, you want to reform them. But if you reform them and just abolish them, I'm not sure that's the solution to what you see. Either. I mean, there, there are a lot of people, uh, and I, I think I give points to Lyle at the moment, where um, in the discussion around uh, introducing a religious discrimination bill, I think he argued against creating a religious discrimination commissioner. I don't want to verbally, I think that's what he's um, advocated. It's for an increasingly popular position amongst conservative commentators. No, but I mean, it's completely hypocritical, politely, for conservative advocates to argue for these institutions to be abolished and then to turn around and say, by the way, we want our own commissioner to advance the things that we care about. Um, I think most Don't of the, worry, Tim, mostly... the last thing I want is for a human rights commissioner of a religion. That's yeah, the no, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's not hypocritical. You, there are plenty it's... of people who do. Um, and yeah, well, they're already... These, it's, the, I think these the, debates I think are the... best held I think in all... the public square where yeah. people have to make rational arguments based on evidence um, and you know, with persuasion, moral persuasion about how we create a greater sense of um, uh, freedom, responsibility and justice in our society. Yeah. And I think what these institutions become is a backdoor way of trying to achieve that for some people um, through non-democratic means. And I think that's a real problem. Uh, that is a problem. Uh, I don't think it's fair to call um, the people. I don't think there's anybody having an each way bet saying we want a religious freedom commissioner and every other discrimination commissioner should be um, eliminated. I think it's people wanting an equal playing ground. It's a either or case um, that no, either every. Well, I know, I know you and I don't, Bernie. They should abolish the human rights commission, but they want a religious discrimination commissioner. You can't have it both I don't, ways. I don't know anybody who's calling for both. Uh, abolition of Human Rights Commission. Uh, well, uh, then I agree with you. They're trying to have an each-way bet, and it sounds hypocritical to me. Um, 100% agree on that, but I don't know anybody. Uh, Lyle, Bernie, me, um, there's a whole bunch of other people. We're like, look, there were some good amendments put forward which you would have voted against uh, in 2017. Um, some no, just I voted some for basic... some of them and voted against some of them. 
I've, uh, I voted. For, people, people misunderstand. I actually voted for uh, some. Which of ones did you support? And and I supported uh, the one around oh. freedom of speech, even though it was appallingly written. Um, uh, and there were some that I abstained because I agreed with the spirit, but not how it was worded. And there were some that I voted against, but I can't remember which ones fit which category. I just remember sure. the freedom of speech one. Excellent. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's some people trying to offer some names here, but I won't. Um, so and yeah, I want to I want to wrap up and move on because we're we're going to go for another hour if we uh, indulge the conversation too much too much longer. Um, why don't Why don't we whip around, uh, Bernie? You got some reflective thoughts for the for the past hour or so? Oh, look, thanks, uh, Dave, for putting this together. I've enjoyed listening to both Tim and Drew. Uh, it's good to have a debate where um, you can express differences of opinion. Uh, if I just make one final point, I think Tim mentioned something about discrimination yeah, before. Uh, look, I believe in discrimination. There are certainly some things uh, that should be discriminated against, and every day people make decisions to discriminate over one thing or another. If you're going to be consistent, Tim, against discrimination, I look forward to you to, to bringing in amendments to uh, – lower the age of marriage, increase the uh, age that people can be uh, uh, conscripted into the army, uh, end the discrimination on which side of the road we drive on. Uh, it's not an argument uh, that you put forward before that, uh, you know, you, you don't believe in discrimination. I've never said I don't believe in discrimination. In fact, I've actually written long articles saying freedom of association is discrimination. I choose to be part of this group or not part of that group. So I, I don't believe in, in, in this. This uh, I often have massive arguments with people about the idea that we believe in non-discrimination as a general proposition. In fact, mm. lots of rights only exist through the practice of discrimination. The question is what the limits of that are. So I don't yep. believe mm. that people should be discriminated on the basis of their housing because uh, of um, uh lots of different preferences, including religion. I don't believe that people should not be able to access public services. Equality before the law says that uh, the, the government should not discriminate against its citizens. I, I fundamentally believe that, and I feel very that. Um, and so uh, it's about where that tension and that line in the law sits. Now, I suspect you probably want to be before people to make choices uh, in society where they choose not to associate with some people. And I'll defend that at the end. That is freedom of association. Yep. Now, well said. Uh, good examples of some very necessary um, discrimination laws. Uh, Tim, before we move on to Drew for his uh, final reflections on, on the hour or so, have you got any others other, other than that uh, rebuttal for uh, enjoinder? Well, apart from to apologise about the sound issues, and if people are still with us, I admire your perseverance. Uh, the, uh, it's actually just to go back to what I, um, we were talking about before with, with Drew, which is uh, more than anything else, and, and I disagree, obviously, with Bernard on some things and, and quite vehemently on some things, and, and I'm not seeking, I'm just making that observation as he's made about me. Um, and the same is also true with Drew. I'm not a left-wing activist, um, but I do think more than anything else in today's world there is far too much cowardice in the world and not enough courage 
And one of the most important things is that people stand up and speak their truths, particularly against authoritarianism in all its forms. Mm. And I particularly want to you know, recognise that uh, uh, Drew's efforts in doing so against the Chinese Communist Party, because let, let's not kid ourselves. The Chinese Communist Party is a political organisation. We'll have him like he has some of us in the federal parliament on, uh, for want of a better phrase, an effective hit list of people who are of interest. Uh, mm. And uh, it's one thing to do it from the position and I guess almost security of being a federal parliamentarian. It's another thing to do it. How old are you, Drew? 21, 22? Yeah, 21. 21. To do it from the age of 21 um, and stand up and show the moral courage to stand up uh, to defend the interests of people of Hong Kong and the Uyghurs and everyone else, for which I just think he deserves enormous um, respect for. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Uh, Drew, um, one of the thoughts I had before when you were talking about the uh, security guards who uh, are sympathetic with you and, and very wisely and reservedly using their discretion to, to not kick you off campus and enforce the authoritarian regime of, of uh, the UQ um, rulers at the moment, I, I thought... Uh, they might uh, perhaps have some resumes that you could collect and, and forward through to um, dictator Dan down in Victoria as uh, he might be needing to recruit for some better members with a similar kind of uh, training for the Victorian police force. But uh, are you planning on a trip to, uh, to China at any stage in the future? <laughs> yeah, it's true. We, we would like to see more restraint from the Victorian police Sadly, personally, I don't think I'm going to be going to China anytime soon. I really thank you, Tim, for your um, your kind words. Like, it is sad that I've kind of made myself a target for the Chinese government. My family have faced a lot of death threats, and to this wow. day, my safety is a bit, like, up in the air sometimes. It's, it's upsetting that we have to get to this point but have to keep going because fundamentally I just want a world where where cruelty is eliminated, where people have justice, where the dignity of every single human life is valued and protected. You know, forget conservative, forget progressive, forget left, forget right, forget these outdated labels. I truly think fundamentally, surely we should all agree on that, the value of human life and the need to protect it as much as we can. And we should be fighting for this. And for me, it comes back to this humanism. And that humanism for me personally comes from Christianity. I believe every single life has value and I want to protect it. And that's what I want to be fighting for. I really enjoy this. I really enjoyed this opportunity to have like a civil debate with people that we do have disagreements with. Yeah, I think, great. Yeah, I think we we just need to be striving towards being as respectful as we can when it comes to these very sensitive topics. I do really think we need to be doing all we can to be protecting vulnerable people because where, where we might may disagree on aspects of government policy and such. Surely we should all agree that whether someone, no one should be cruelly or unjustly targeted, persecuted, intimidated, and bullied simply for arbitrary characteristics they have no choice over, whether it be yep. race, religion, whether it be sexuality, things like that. I just think we just need to be doing all we can to try and protect human dignity. I think it's a hey, uh, little bit of a, forgive me for this uh question uh, as i'm trying to wrap up drew it <laughs> might be a bit provocative um yeah, sure. how in in the battle of combating very dangerous ideas or ideas that yeah. you consider very dangerous 
Um, how respectful are you towards the Chinese Communist Party? Look, I, I'll agree. I'm the first to violate my own principles when it comes to this. I often make mistakes. We all do. We all, I think sometimes if the cruel, cruelty and the brutality is such that, I, I mean, if, if we are facing down truly cruel and vicious systems, I don't think we really need to be showing respect to, you know, the oppressor. The Chinese Communist the, Party does not show respect to dissidents. Yeah. And so I'm not going to be showing respect to the Chinese Communist Party. I guess the I guess the point I'm making is uh, it can be quite a subjective uh, it is, metric. I agree um, on 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 both sides of the that uh, that that thought process, but uh, yeah. I, I I nevertheless agree. Um, yeah. Wherever possible, we should be as respectful, sincere, and civil as as possible, and uh, make comments about ideas instead of individuals. Um, sure. It does depend on the. It does depend on the issue. Like I'm all for making fun of Xi Jinping personally and whatnot. Just, <laughs> you mean we? Yeah, we need to. But I mean, when we are Australians debating issues of Australian public policy, we should try as best we can to re maintain respect and civil civility. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, there are. There's. Uh, there are certainly uh, some pretty. Um, common uh, examples on on many many different sides or on both sides and, and look I, I certainly uh, have seen my side acting with um, uh, behavior that I would criticize um, yeah, and, and say that, that's, that's just so like you just sinking to their level uh, that used to be the yeah. the prerogative of the left and and like guys don't don't think that their strategies are going to help us win necessarily. Uh, not the, those ones. Um, thank you very much for your time, everyone. Look, I do want to encourage uh, people watching to um, personally thank our panellists tonight. Go to their Twitter. Um, if you uh, go to that cesspit, um, I actually don't mind it. I think it's a good place to do opposition research. Um, but uh, go to Tim Wilson, MP, Drew Pavlou and Bernard Gaynor's uh, Twitter timeline and just uh, thank them and uh, share some thoughts uh, for their conversation tonight. I personally really enjoy the shows where where there's some good disagreement and, and um, I don't think it's an echo chamber to provide a, a conservative media outlet. Uh, I think we are the acoustic treatment to um, the mainstream media uh, echo chamber. But uh, nonetheless, in this show itself, if we can have some good dissent uh, or as drew calls it nuance um <laughs> then uh then, then I hate that... nuance all the time but just in this one case <laughs> yeah it's it's fantastic drew i hope you uh, come on again and and uh, you too yeah. tim and uh, bernard always a pleasure having uh, your thoughts uh, on the channel well that's it for the good source tonight uh this has been pillow talk i'm dave pillow and um, we've uh, look forward to having your support on the channel. If you would like more production like this, then uh, please head over to the website uh, goodsource.news. That's S A U C E, and uh, become a monthly supporter for a small amount, so or large, so that we can continue and bring you more like this. Uh, to my guests, I'll see you backstage in just a second. But uh, to those watching, that's it for now, and we'll see you later. <laughs>